Hello and welcome to another episode of 99 Problems But A Boss Ain't One, the podcast that tackles your freelance challenges one episode at a time. I'm one of your co-hosts, Katie Carlisle, and I run my own Squarespace web design and training business, Squarespace Queen. My name's Michelle Pratt, I'm your other co-host, and I run a personal development and management training business, Dive Deeper Development, and I've been freelance for about five years. And today we're talking about how to make friends and influence people. And we're not talking about Instagram influencers here, although they probably do use some of the techniques that we're gonna be covering. Um, But today we're gonna be focusing on how we can win people over with our minds. So Michelle, when we talk about what we mean by influence, I'm assuming we're not doing this in any kind of sleazy or immoral way. Yeah, Katie, we're talking about winning people over to our ideas or our products or services, or perhaps winning people over to us to get them to buy into us as people. And we're talking about winning people over in a way in which agendas are completely open. So uh, obviously as freelancers, we want people to like us or buy into us. And of course, at the same time, we're also trying to transact a, a business relationship. So we want people to buy in. And we're really talking about getting our agenda out of the table and getting people to sign up to whatever it is we're, we're selling. And of course, if that's useful skill for all freelancers to have. And I, I mean, Katie, why would you, you've been doing this a bit longer than me? Why would you say it's an important uh, problem for freelancers to tackle the ability to influence? Well, I mean, ultimately, you have to be able to sell to be able to do your business. For for, for nearly all freelancers, influencing somebody to make a decision to to put their money towards your business is part of the job and I think one of the reasons it's a problem for freelancers is because a lot of us don't come from a background of having to do sales or marketing or any form of influencing in our roles a lot of us have got really good doing skills but we haven't necessarily got those selling and influencing skills or the the networking and connecting skills which are another part of influencing and so I think that's one of the reasons why when you go freelance, it's very hard when you're trying to kind of find your first work. If you haven't got those skills already, and you've not been used to using them. That's not to say that you can't, you haven't got them or that you can't develop them, but they don't come as naturally, I think, to, to first time freelancers if you haven't been doing it in your previous job. So I think that's the main reason that it's particularly a freelance problem because normally people who are good at the influencing and marketing and selling and all of that tend to gravitate towards roles in marketing as employees. And if you're not naturally good at that, then you tend to shy away from roles like that. But when you're a freelancer, you have to do it. There's no getting around it. Michelle, what do you think? Well, yeah, I was going to say, Kate, most of us are also really passionate about our, our craft, if you like. So I'm thinking about people like yourself doing web design and people do copywriting and me with training. You know, we've, we've got lots of knowledge and experience and skills and we want to put those over to people. And I'm sure you would be heartbroken if you had a good idea for a website and the client wanted to do something which you know looks rubbish. We were looking the other day, weren't we, Katie, at a website which had Comic Sans as the font. Now, I know Comic Sans gets a lot more stick than it really deserves but still it was a you know somebody advised that website and i guess it'd be a terrible shame if we had a really good solution but we couldn't convince the client as to why that would be in their best interest to follow so i think for me that's a biggie as well definitely yeah we've talked about that on a recent episode didn't we about how what happens when a client 
does want to go a different way that you don't advise and you have to kind of emphasize your the reason that they're hiring you is because you're an expert and actually there's a reason for doing this and they should probably listen to you so yeah exactly it's not just about selling it's actually about convincing people around to a particular way of thinking which is useful in lots of elements of freelancing also for for getting deals yourself you know as a freelancer you're also somebody who buys things from other people and so if you can influence to get a good deal or anything like that then that can be helpful for you as well yeah definitely and katie i i find that freelancers um most of us we we are we are good at certain parts of influence not the others so i always think of influencing there are three core areas to think about sometimes called three s's but first of all you've got the the substance of your message this is the bit we're typically very good at so we're very good at um being factual or really knowing our stuff so it's good to have substance it's also really important to have good style as well so sometimes it's not just what we know it's the way that we put it across and quite often we're technical experts and the people we're talking to are starting right from the the first stage so I think we've got to think about style that said Katie I do think there's some people out there who um, are very good at style I think we've all seen them people who sell the same services as us really good with the style but when you look at their offering or when you speak to one of their customers you realize that the that the product doesn't match the sales pitch so yeah we've got to balance those and then there's the situation you know the context so we've got to whatever we do we've got to tailor our, our communication to to both of those and get the balance right tailor it to the audience so it's not like a one-off thing we've got for every audience for every scenario we've got to be able to f- tweak our influencing skills and as you say that's a whole different job role which in most businesses are done by specialists when you're freelancers unfortunately uh you've got to do it for for yourself so then if we're thinking about influencing people michelle you you were saying that there's different stages of influence so how does that work yeah so like i say quite often we are the experts and the people that we're speaking to are going right from the beginning so i think one of the top tips for influencing is you've got to understand the other person understand where they're at meet them there first and bring them with you and it's sometimes said uh, and this is a typical I forget where it's from it's a typical marketing kind of tool that a lot of marketers will use but marketers will tell you that there are typically five stages of influencing and the first one is unawareness so that the customer or the client doesn't know that they have a problem Um, so that's the first stage so that's where a lot of our clients um, are starting and then you've got awareness so the first thing is to bring people into that situation where they understand that there is a problem to be solved or that there is an opportunity to be grasped so in the typical one you get with marketers is ADA uh, attention interest desire action they try and bring the problem into people's awareness and then there's a little education bit so some would say that the third stage there is comprehension so educating your your target audience about the potential solution or about the options that there are out there to solve the problem which you've made them aware of then the idea is that if we can work our way up then we can get people to a stage of commitment and see if we can get them to buy into what it is we're trying to sell them and when I say sell them Katie I don't necessarily mean a product it could just be an idea 
or a, a, you know a concept it doesn't actually have to be a pounds and pence sale and of course the final stage of influencing is action it's getting people to actually do something off the back of what we've said to them so i'm sure all of us have been in situations where we've tried to convince someone of something they're making all the right noises and when it comes down to it they don't actually take the final plunge sometimes if we've done that we haven't done those earlier stages uh, well enough I, and kate i'm sure you've you've seen this as well where people try to get or you or you've had people try to get you to buy something by just asking for the business but asking for the business outright without doing any of those four stages so you probably know what i mean when i say that yeah exactly i think you'll get people who just want that quick win and, and don't want to put in the effort to actually get to know your business and understand why their product or service can actually help you they just want to sell 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 straight to you um and like you say they go straight to the action stage yeah. um i think one of the things when you said the unawareness i thought it's actually quite interesting because um certainly for my business um there's actually two types of unawareness one is they're not aware of me as a brand but they're not some people aren't even aware that they have a problem that needs solving so there's maybe like pre-unawareness as well so for example if somebody's got a really terrible website but they don't realize that it's terrible and they don't realize that it could be doing so much more for them then there's a there's an extra step there before you can even start making them aware of your brand or anything you have to make them understand that they need a new website so that's i think like the first the first thing is actually them realizing that they have a problem that needs solving before they even become aware of who might be able to solve yeah. that problem for them as well. And I think it probably happens in a sort of parallel, you know, reasonable parallel. The, the sort of, you know, they probably don't get as far as the comprehension and commitment until they've started researching people to help them as well as what the problem is yeah and it's, it's interesting because you know linkedin i get a lot of these things in my inbox in linkedin uh people say trying to sell me on a service it's like who are you i don't know you and uh why are you telling me this this has no relevance to my business and even if it does i'm, I'm probably not going to buy it off the back of a linkedin message so these things must work otherwise they wouldn't invest their time doing them but i don't think it's a great way to do business and uh, katie you mentioned they're bringing you know we look at the website example um do people know they've got a bad website it's probably worth mentioning here that there are good ways and bad ways of doing this and i think you've given me examples in the past of people contacting someone and going hey there's a fault on your website i can fix it and nobody likes to be told your website is rubbish let me fix it for you totally yeah i i i have people that all come to me like oh there's a broken link to this product that you link to and here's a replacement product that you can link to instead. And I'm like, nope, no, it's, nope, nope, it's, nope, nope. no, that's not without any kind of preliminaries or anything. It's just like, no. And I think every so often something will land in your kind of periphery at the exact right time where you've kind of independently done the research to get yourself to a place where actually you understand what you need and you've got a very clear profile of the type of person or service that you need and then they just happen to appear on your radar and I think that's when you can very quickly go through the final stages of commitment and action because you've almost done it already or somebody for example who's maybe got as far as the comprehension or commitment stage so they've done you know they've become aware they've, they've understood 
what the services are, they've understood what the costs are, but then maybe somebody's let them down. And so they're looking for a replacement. So they've already kind of gone that far along the journey with someone else and they're looking for for somebody to sort of take over for the last couple of stages of the journey. But I think sometimes you have to be mindful of that. If somebody does approach you and they have been through some of the stages of the journey with a, with a different freelancer or a different business, if they then come to you, they probably just want to go through those two final stages and just get it all signed off. But I think it's really important to actually take them back to the beginning and take them through those initial awareness sections and and but but in the context of working with you because otherwise that's where misunderstandings and confusion comes up because if they're assuming something's going to be done in the way that they thought the other person was going to do it and then all of a sudden the way you do it's different then you're going to have a very difficult conversation on your hands I think yeah definitely I think you should meet your 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 client or your customer where they are like you say they may be ready to go um so hammer home those first few stages if they're already there if someone came to me and said Michelle I want coaching uh, for procrastination it's ruining my life and I then started hammering home do you have any idea how much this is affecting your life they would go yeah I know I just told you that but like you say (laughs) maybe that you can but this is also where we can add value by helping people identify potential problems which they hadn't thought of but also I would use both I would help them identify potential solutions that they didn't know they needed so this is where we as freelancers add value it's not just about a sales pitch um I think within that case, we should probably mention the kind of pleasure pain principle. There are two reasons really why people do things and uh, they are pretty much to do with pleasure and and pain. Either we're going to help people achieve a really sexy objective that they want to get to and they feel good about it. So building their business further, developing themselves, something like this. But uh, we can also influence people by helping them avoid pain. Um, Some people call this towards away. And of course, people are very motivated to get away from losing business or feeling a lack of confidence or or, um, making a mistake. Both of those are really powerful. Now, my suggestion would be if you're trying to raise awareness to someone and influence them, evoking emotions is a really great way to do it now in marketing and i'm sure you've all seen this online as well some people use this with a sledgehammer and they really try to 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 ramp up emotion (laughs) in a really awful way generally speaking it's better to make someone feel good but you can use the two together quite skillfully so you can bring uh, to, to people's awareness a problem which is giving which could give them grief um by asking a question is quite a nice way to do that um to ask them oh how much have you spent on this in the last year have you got the res- have the results you wanted and so on so forth so we could evoke those kind of negative emotions the the pain of the problem but i would always do that hand in hand so never leave someone in despair and try and make them buy out of fear i would i, I would give them highlights on the pain ask them some questions where they get to tell me what the painful stuff is and then i would also offer them some solutions that make them feel good about taking the next steps when people don't act it's usually because they don't know where to start or they just don't want to so if you can make people want to take action and feel good about it and then make it easy for them to do so that's going to be a really way to get people on board but I think it's worth mentioning that because I've seen a lot of tactics used online you know buy now or you'll lose the chance to do this for your business forever or you could do it the easy way or you could do it the really slow painful takes five years making lots of expensive mistakes way and I I don't I don't but I don't Casey how do you feel about that I don't I personally don't like it but I I don't like it because I think it's become so pervasive and because it seems very sort of cynical marketing-y type speak I think there probably are people who genuinely can help you to you know stop making mistakes and share 
easy ways to get through your business and everything else. But I don't think that the kind of people that I would want to work with would market themselves in that way. Yeah. So I think it's it's not the concept, it's the way that the message is delivered. Yeah. Um, I mean, one thing I find much more effective than being made to feel bad about myself or kind of being reminded of pain is actually when people use storytelling and they're telling about their pain. Um, again, you see examples of this being done in a, in a good way and in a overly marketing way. But when you can tell it's a genuine and interesting story about how somebody had some pain or a problem and then they took some steps and then they were able to come out the other side better. And if that can then resonate with your business, I think that's very powerful because it kind of allows you to have access to the kind of problems that you either have or could have without having to sort of go there as much yourself because that other person's problems represent what you could be suffering from as well. So um, again, this is used in a very overly marketing-y way a lot of the time but I think if it's done well so um, the do lectures is somebody that I think does that very well the storytelling um, if, you, if you subscribe to their email list then whenever they're doing online courses or workshops it's it's very much from the perspective of storytelling how they then say you know and they share they share a bit of a bit of what's worked for them so they don't just keep everything behind the kind of paid product they start sharing a bit of what's worked and then they say you know if you want a bit more of this then come and come and join our course yeah so I think that's one of the ways that works really well as well yeah you're you're absolutely right Katie stories are incredibly powerful and um, one of the reasons is that stories are how we have passed information down from our very very early ancestors before we had the printing press things were passed down through stories and uh, we've kind of evolved for that to be um, the, our primary way of taking information so I think um, stories always always work and we'll explain a bit more about that in a bit but the key thing is remember your customer or your client or your target audience are on a journey Journey, and it's really important to bring them with you so understand where they are and then try to bring them with you um we've mentioned emotions already katie and um i think that's an in- interesting one so if we go way way back to like aristotle uh, aristotle's times he knew they they all knew, knew about this and, and there are three kind of schools of influence and they were ethos pathos and logos so ethos is kind of like the credibility as your credibility as a speaker why should people listen to you and then they also said good influencing or good persuasion has though not just credibility but also a mixture of pathos and logos which is kind of in shorthand terms emotion and logic now most people think they're persuaded by logic and reason particularly in the professional space but we are all emotional beings. Every single person on the planet is an emotional decision maker. So whenever you're trying to influence or persuade people, look for the logic. You should have a robust sound um, proposition to put to people, a good narrative, a good argument. It should be backed up with facts and figures. It should have some rigor, but also try and uh, provoke the senses, provoke the emotions as well, and see if you can look for the emotion behind the logical request. So I'm guessing, Katie, people don't ask you about a website because they like a series of codes to appear in a certain order on their screen. The real reason why they want a website, of course, is that they either want to sell more or to promote their profile or their brand. So there's some emotion behind it. So most of us have a leaning towards one or the other, but we need to make sure we've got all in there. 
I don't know about you, Katie. Are you, are you an emotional buyer of services and goods, or are you more sort of a what do you prefer a bit more logic and reason? I'm emotional, obs. <laughs> um, I, I don't. I I kind of have. I think I swing wildly from one to the other. To be honest, um, I think to me, I, what what I think where emotion makes the difference is it's quite easy to to find if you're you know if you're researching a product or a service it's quite easy to find a few different options that on a logical level compare reasonably well to each other there's you know there's maybe not a huge distinction in terms of price quality time and everything else but that's when the emotion and the kind of credibility or the the like you know say the qualifications or whatever that's when the background and the emotional connection makes the decision so I think I probably get to a point of whittling it down to a shortlist using logic but then the final decision I think is made on emotions so you know for, for the other day I was looking f- uh, to buy a something online I can't remember what it was and so I was looking at different companies oh that's right it was some dry shampoo and some zero waste shampoo options as well and so I was looking at various different companies and they all sold the same products for about the same price but the one I ended up buying from was because I looked at the about page and it said um, I live by the seaside in a bungalow with two whippets and I was like oh I live by the ba- by the seaside in a bungalow with two greyhounds and so that was the reason I went with that company and so the that was very much an emotional decision because there wasn't really any other differentiating factors. They were all good, you know, ethical, ethically sourced, zero waste websites that all had a similar similar values to me and everything. But it was just that that kind of emotional connection that sold it to me in the end. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, it, this is why a lot of companies do the the buy one give one approach, or they all seem to have like a a bit of a social cause in their marketing because you know sharing values and uh, making people feel good about buying is 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 so powerful. I like to think I'm logical, and like you, I do a bit of homework. But uh, I do admit I am. If something looks nicer, I'm not even that flashy, really. I, cars, I just think a car is a car, but I'd still want to feel good about buying it so try and get a good mixture of credibility so you should be credible but also get a good amount of logic and emotion and if you have a leaning towards one remember this is about your audience what does your audience want and if you don't know your audience and it's many people you're giving a talk you're going to have to cover all three in good measure but if you have a slight leaning towards one perhaps flex your skills and really ramp up the other would be would be my suggestion so when we're thinking about influencing like where do we where do we get our power from like where does it where does it come from when we when we talk about influencing and having the power of an influencer yeah it's it's an interesting one isn't it because i've worked with in places where some people seem to have a lot of influence even if they're not that competent i've worked in businesses where people seem to punch above their weight despite not having line management authority um there were a couple of uh, people called french and raven back in the 1960s and they identified what they called power bases and what I like about their power bases work is that it it kind of tells us that we have more influence or more sources of power than we really think we do and what they said was there are certain ways you can be influential so they mentioned the obvious ones so like carrot and stick if you like so we can either you know if we've got the ability to force people uh, to do something then of course that's very persuasive or we have influence in that sense there's also the ability to give a reward so we could bribe or reward people for things and of course we can um, entice people 
and of course that has gives us a lot of influence or power and of course the obvious one particularly in the professional field we tend to think of people with uh, if you work for a business line management authority or if you manage people in your business if you are the manager or the business owner and you have staff you've obviously got an influence because you hold that position of authority so all of those things are the obvious places to get your influence from however those are not the only ones and quite often we typically think that we need those so we think we need to be a you know have a phd in our subject or we have to be an instagram influencer or we have to be seen as a a product guru or have a certain number of followers to have influence but actually we've got a lot more than that so other power bases that you identified was your expertise, Katie. So if you are a particular expert in your field, and you don't even have to be an expert on the whole subject, if you just have expertise, even in one particular area or one particular piece of software or one particular problem, expertise can be hugely influential. But more than that, and the one that I think I find quite comforting is that you can have your some of your power bases can come from your network so your contacts who you know your willingness to share your contacts your willingness to connect other people you can get power from your information that you have access to so controlling the flow what you have who you share it with and the final one is the one that i never really thought of before i owned a business and i was convinced i didn't have and that is Um, a power base coming from your personality so likability is really important and of course if people like you and they warm to you then of course this can make you really influential too so just sheer charm or likability um, is kind of important and early on in my career I kind of discounted that I didn't understand people who were just who who did things with people because they liked them but of course that's how business works and Katie I know that you have a great relationship with your clients and um that likability like you said you bought from someone who was like you that's a big factor for you isn't it yeah exactly i think i'm i i don't want to be like oh i'm so likable but i know that my personality is one of the reasons that clients say they choose to work with me and it's not just my personality it's my reliability and the way that i talk about things but i think it's like one of the differentiating factors is just the I do things a little bit differently and I think people enjoy a breath of fresh air and maybe only a very small percentage of people really resonate with it but that's fine because I only need a small percentage of people for my business model to work if I was trying to you know be an influencer to millions then I'd probably struggle more to find that huge audience of people that sort of you know thinks the way I do or kind of particularly gets on with my style or my personality but it seems that for whatever reason people don't don't object completely to me um uh and so then yeah that that's kind of one of the reasons i think people enjoy working with me because i'm a bit different that's a that's a it's a total eye-opener to to me katie because you said to me i think quite early on when I, i was first freelance you know there are lots of people that do what you do but there is only one you. So uh, you, only you have your perspective, only you have your style. And some people won't like that, but some people really will really resonate with them. So you don't have to be the first, you don't have to be the best, you don't have to be the cheapest. You just, you know, some people would just like working with you. And, and this is, this is yeah, really important. I, um, I, I went for sort of an interview to do some associate work for a company and um, they, they obviously we had to demonstrate that we were able to do good training which we did and then 
there was quite a few people apply for one of these associate positions and I got one and it was my first ever gig so I didn't really know why in fact nobody knew why and um, I, I asked around afterwards like oh what why us why did they select us and the other person said well what it was is we all demonstrate our competence that's a no-brainer but then the director said well he said I he said I like you the guy who referred you liked you my people like you he said the question I asked my people is this um would you, if you were stuck in a hotel with these people with with Michelle would you and you had to eat dinner with her every night in the hotel because you're away working together would you be happy to do that and of all of the people that I had seen me had said yes they'd be happy to be shut away in a hotel with me for five days and oh I would not have passed that test and have dinner with me at five because <laughs> that's it you're working in a pair we were working in tandem and so of course you could work with someone with more expertise or someone who is cheaper but if you have to do a project with someone or work for someone weeks on end or to repeat business why would you choose to work with someone who you find just a bit awkward or unlikable so it's huge so i think it's worth bearing in mind we we have um more power bases than we think we do and we tend to over rely on the same one so if you're an expert that's great but do you over rely on your expertise or if you're very likable do you over rely on the relationships but of course that has its faults too could you uh, use different power basis do you can use your information your network better so it's really important to think about where you get your power from you got more than you got and then another thing i want to bring in here katie is that um you know influence or communication it's not a one-off activity it's something that you you have to keep doing uh, it's a great phrase i heard and i can't say who it came from but the biggest mistake that people make with communication is to assume that it's finished and i think that might be peter drucker or henry ford or something i don't know who that was so I hear different figures about this. So, of course, when you're trying to influence someone, we talked about the different stages. Of course, there's five stages. So you have many touch points with somebody. I don't know, Kate, what have you heard? How many times should you repeat a message before people buy? What figures have you heard, Katie? I always hear seven. That's the one, like seven touch points, not all in the same way, but like seven, seven points. So it might, it might be a call, it might be a newsletter, it might be a tweet, it might be but seven ways to kind of remind someone you exist before they tend to take action. Yeah. What about you? I heard, I heard seven is the one I've always been told. I heard recently 11, but that was exclusively Oof. for online. If you're just selling from a landing page online, I was told 11. Right. Um, and that's why I asked, because the numbers seem to keep changing. But I th- And I think the reality is some people probably take 15, some people take three, some people maybe just need one thing to be sold if they're in the right position to buy. Um, but I think I think having it doesn't you know I, I wouldn't get too hung up on oh I haven't done seven things with this person that's definitely never going to work. I think the most important thing is to think about like you said Michelle it's not done you know one tweet doesn't constitute marketing and I know I'm guilty of that I'm I'm a bit like oh I've talked about it now so I have to I can't talk about it again because I don't want to spam people too. I'm much. the same. I don't want to spam. <laughs> I don't annoy people. But of course, most people probably haven't even seen the tweet because that's the nature of Twitter. And so I think I'm definitely guilty of not doing enough touch points to to kind of check in with people. Um, And so I think it depends on the type of service that you're offering. I think like you say, like online stuff like that probably needs a lot more work compared to say, if I have a client recommended to me by somebody else and so they might be an initially they might see my website they might be initial email and then i might have a phone conversation with them and that's probably all i need to get them to take action is those three touch points 
Yeah. But that's because the quality of those interactions is much better and deeper than you would get online and it's reciprocal as well it's a two-way conversation whereas online it's much harder to have a two-way conversation obviously you can have comments and on social media and direct messaging and everything but i think the the quality of interaction you get in a phone call is much higher and so you need fewer touch points if you're doing that yeah and if they already know you're on to a winner but i think like you said katie do it in different ways i've mentioned sharon gaskin from the trainers training company here before but when she's got one of her events running she doesn't just send an email saying come to my event she in one the awareness stage so one we are unaware so she makes us aware that she's got an event coming up then she'll send us like a video uh, some profiles of some of the guest speakers her next email will be um, some talking heads of people who've said how much they've enjoyed the previous program the next one will be um, some information then she might you know make another call for ticket sales and so on and so forth so she's adding value in different ways it's the same message same end game but she's adding something new each time so I never feel spammed but she's reminding me and of course by the fifth or sixth email i finally get around to booking so it was and that's a really good point because it doesn't have to be salesy in air quotes whenever you do those touch points so the touch point is a reminder that you exist and the value you can add it's not just always about here's my product buy now click this link buy now definitely it's it she, she does the whole comprehension and commitment thing very very well so look we've, we've done a few there Katie I'll just finish off with some final tips because I feel like we can't really talk about influence and persuading without mentioning Dr Robert uh, Kieldini Kieldini I can't pronounce his name I apologise he has a really famous book called Principles of Persuasion and um, you've probably most people have probably heard of at least some of the techniques if they haven't heard of uh, Kieldini himself so a few a few things he said his levers of persuasion if you like he mentioned affinity so first of all likability was one of his things and of course we've already covered that people buy from people that they know trust and like never underestimate the power of knowing trusting and liking people and we shared our stories of why that's important he also mentioned authority now I mentioned before you can have great influence from someone if you have the authority but you don't have to um, necessarily just have the authority you just need to give off the air of authority and Chiodini talked about titles trappings and clothes and he mentioned um, that picking a title could be a really good way of doing it so um Katie, we've mentioned this before and I don't know your thoughts, but there is a school of thought that says on things like LinkedIn, you shouldn't call yourself a freelancer because people don't take you as seriously as if you say you're a director or if you're an expert. I don't know your thoughts on using freelancer in your titles. I'm a big fan of using freelancer in my titles, but then again, I'm probably not going after people for whom status is important. And so if you are going after somebody, if your client base or a target client's do value status then i could see how that would work um if you're going for a more corporate client base for example i imagine they probably put more you know weight behind somebody yeah who is an expert as opposed to a freelancer because i guess anyone could be a freelancer as it takes years to become an expert in something although to be honest putting it on your linkedin profile anybody can do so it doesn't necessarily mean you are an expert so so kyle said yeah use a title that fits you know so even if just changing from freelancer to self-employed or saying you know business owner or something like that if it's important in your context then choose a title the other one was trappings and this is a bit like dress for the job you want not the one you've got so of course if you look the part and you've got all the props then of course you can convince people you have more influence than you are and we've heard many self-employed examples of this so people um 
you know, having a, rather than using the mobile number, sometimes they have one of those phone numbers or those um, services where you have a virtual receptionist. Um, there are also things like um, just dressing the parts or giving the equipment or meeting people in really fancy business spaces. So giving this air, so making sure the message is congruent. There's a really funny story someone um, told me of a, a chap in, um, I think it was Bristol Zoo, Katie, where he, he was, he was, he was the car parking attendant and so for many years he was parking people's car and he had a high-vis vest he had a clipboard and he had all the trappings of being a car park attendant of course nobody questioned him because he looked like he came from the council he had his high-vis vest he had his his clipboard he had the means to take payment he looked legit and um when he retired i'm using air quotes again um the zoo asked the council, oh, please, can you send someone else around to do the parking again? The other guy's gone. Are you sending a replacement? Turned out the guy never worked for the council. He'd just been collecting like about a fiver <laughs> off people every time they part. Amazing. But nobody ever questioned it. And I've seen this replicated. And so there are sleazy ways of doing that. But also as freelancers, there are good ways of doing this. Yeah, so it doesn't have to always be, it doesn't always have to be the correct thing is to wear a formal suit at any time. Like, I think my clients would find it really weird if I went all fancy on them and turned up in a suit to meetings or met them in some, like, exclusive hotel lobby because that's not the kind of people I want to work with. Like, I think if I if I looked really dressy, I think everybody else would just feel a bit strange. And so it's, I think it's, yeah, meet, meet your audience where they are, like we said earlier, in terms of their kind of, uh, where they are in their journey towards working with you, but also, yeah, what, what do, how do they react? How, what do they expect from you? And how do they dress? And how do they refer to themselves? And try and use their language if that's appropriate. Yeah, definitely. I, I think that's that's very important. And like you say, whatever's right for that context. Um, another one was consistency. So people like people to be consistent. It's why they dislike politicians so much. So if you set a rate don't suddenly increase it that will discredit uh, take away trust but also don't suddenly decrease it either so be consistent and of course if you say that your values or your brand is a certain thing of course make sure you're consistent with that anything that takes away from making you look like consistent with yourself uh, this can make a huge difference another way consistency is used is some people use it in a sleazy way of marketing and, and not that marketing we think is a dirty word but there are some terrible tactics out there and the old school one is the yes tree so do you know do you like uh, you know is it important to have a good website yes uh, is it important to make a good impression yes and you get so many yeses and eventually people um don't want to say no but i think there are ways we can do it consistent so allow people to be consistent with themselves when they're buying from you another really useful one is reciprocity katie mentioned this earlier so um it's a two-way relationship and benjamin franklin did this one once before becoming president he asked the president before him and I can't remember who that was because I don't know American history, if he could borrow a book from him. So rather than try to lend the guy a book and do him a favour, he took interest in the book that the, the guy was reading and asked if he could borrow it. And so this is kind of reciprocity thing. If I do things for you, you do things for me, but that works in reverse as well. So um, re reciprocity is important. Scarcity, we all know about and, and our final tips there because we see it on landing pages all the time only five seats left on the webinar or um after today the recording will be taken down you'll never have this chance to learn this wonderful webinar ever again before it's put up a month later um i mean we've all seen the scarcity tactic haven't we um 
scarcity does work but i think it has to be genuine so you yes uh, if you say there's no more places and oh my god we've just opened up five more places doesn't really work um and the final one is social proof and of course katie you mentioned earlier you know stories being really powerful other people having bought and if you know other people like you have bought you'll do it and part of that is social proof we like to know that people like us have had a similar problem but also that we've that, that we've got some value from the solution as well so testimonials is the obvious one katie i don't know if you could think of any others i think just testimonials and then the extension of that is case studies and you know look, like going into more depth about the process of working with somebody and how you've collaborated with them to create this end result uh you know testimonials can come in different forms as well it doesn't have to be written it could be video anything like that i think the social proof can also be other people talking about you on their website so it doesn't have to be a testimonial on your website it could be on social media when somebody says um so for example i think probably we've both had this happen in the past but like there's been like a facebook group and someone said oh does anybody know any um web designers coaches whatever and if if kind of a reasonably high percentage of the responses all say the same person, then that's brilliant social proof. Yeah. Um, and so I, I've had that before where like three different people have, have sort of mentioned me as the person and I've been like, and so then I'm like, oh, cool, excellent, base is covered. <laughs> yeah, word of mouth as well. Just word of mouth is another really Yeah, good exactly. But that is incredibly powerful. And uh, if you're like me and you haven't really made the most of social proof on your website or your marketing, then yeah, that would be a really easy thing to do. <laughs> And again, you'll see it in all the landing pages and the typical online marketing techniques. So there we go, Katie. We've shared, uh, there's loads more we could do on this, but we've shared a few of the, of the more straightforward, more well-known influencing and persuasion tactics that you could use to up your game. Most of us do most of these. The question is, do we do all of them? And do we do all of them consistently? Consistently, and most of us probably don't. So hopefully there's something you can use there. So, so finally, Katie, then we've, we've talked a number of tactics there. Um, what would be your one takeaway from all this? What, what's your big tip here? I think for me, it's go through the stages with people. So don't just go straight to the selling. Actually spend the time to work on the awareness and the understanding before you then try and get a commitment and an action from people. I think, you know, we really tend to try and jump straight to the action sometimes and get people to just buy from us. Whereas I think if you spend that extra time making sure people understand the benefits of buying with you and making sure they know who you are, then I think that's a really strong way to do it. And I think you don't have to do it on a massive scale. You can do it in a, you know, you don't have to have a huge following. If everybody that follows you is actually really engaged with you, then you don't need to have a massive following to then have quite a high conversion rate with that. Yeah. What about you, Michelle? I like that one. Uh, I think for me, yeah, we've, we've mentioned it a few times. I'd say go where your, your audience are. So really try and understand your audience or the person you're trying to influence and just know, try and figure about their style. So use their style. Is it more emotion? Is it more logic? What is it that would persuade them? and also go at the pace that they're willing to go as well. So meet your customer where they are and bring them with you, it would be my suggestion. Fab, well, 
As always, we would love to hear from you if you've got any ideas around future topics for the podcast or anything. You can find us at 99problemscast on Twitter. That's the number 99, problems, and then cast as in podcast. And of course, you can subscribe to make sure you get an alert when there's a new episode available. And we will see you next time for another episode of 99 Problems, But a Boss Ain't One.